Yeah, you're right. And and it's not to say that they're promoting substance use. What they're trying to do is promote safety in the sense of like, okay, you know, there's going to be a lot of people here that aren't going to be doing drugs, but there's going to be a lot of people here that are. So trying to find a balanced approach to that. And so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I can see people's points of where they think it's encouraging or, you know, enabling people to bring substances there. But the reality is, is they're already doing it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing it right now somewhere, you know, at school, buying it at school, you know, it's just, it's, it's really changed. Uh, we've entered a synthetic era of substance use. Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Created by the nonprofit Pain, parents and addicts in need, and founded by Flint Anderson. Flint brought this really interesting thing. Um, guy, he was showing me that it, we won't specify the group, but it's essentially like a uh, company that puts on like concerts or events, like kind of like rave type things. And they were providing test strips, Flint? Yeah. And, and 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 where I took notice of this uh guy is I I, I almost should have pre-warned him a little bit on, on on this one. Um I noticed that the event that you're doing, this is the company that's providing the fentanyl test strips. Oh. Yeah. And oh, it ha- I didn't know that. Yeah, and it and it has it right on the bag. Got yeah. I'm gonna tell you right out of the get go. All right, that I that that what is this a party? You know, um, and and this company literally are promoters of nightlife entertainment for young people. Right. And what that is telling me is that that's okay if you use. We just don't want you dying inside of our events. Right. Right. And, and so again, I take, I take big issue with that and how that is and how that is promoted. You know, they're, they're under the guise of, you know, this is, this is a health, excuse me. um, You know, this is, this is a health issue, which, which we all know it is. um, But they're also promoting health and safety. But in fact, they're just, again, in my opinion, you know, trying to get kids or young adults into their into their venues. Well, I mean, you got to look at, too, really, with anything that people go to, whether it's a concert, a football game, uh, you know, a rave or, you know, a festival, uh, you know, people show up, people use drugs. Right. That's I get it. That's this is this is the reality of our society is that. People are coming, they're going to bring their own dope and they're going to get high. Now, in in light of what these guys, I think, you know, what they're saying and maybe what is portrayed and maybe what should be said is the fact that it's, if you are going to, you know, bring your substances, then we do have drug checking. We do have, et cetera. It's not that they're trying to promote people to come in and bring their drugs and calling it maybe dance safe or whatever you explained to me that they were saying it, what they're trying to do is saying like, look, you know, we know probably the reality is, is that somebody's going to come here and get high. We don't want you to die here. Uh, so get your drugs tested. And if it does have fentanyl in it, you know, a lot of the kids too, they're buying MDMA to go to a rave to use it. They're not, they don't want fentanyl. And if they did go to the facility and check it and did have fentanyl, they're all going to look at each other at least and say, well, hell, we don't want this crap. Um, and then go into the into the rave. So you got you to look at it with with. You know, glass half full, glass full type thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'm I'm trying to look at some of this stuff like that, um, but I, I, I'm starting to get extremely irritated with it. You know, you, you made you made a comment that these kids don't want to, uh, um, you know, they may, you know, get ecstasy and, and come in and do their thing and, and don't want fentanyl in it. I don't know what it's like in your area. Okay. But in this area, and we've interviewed more, more kids and we know what to do with here. These kids are looking for fentanyl. They, 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 they know exactly what they're buying. You know, they're, they're using these test strips to make sure that they're not going over the two milligram mark that, because that's the possible overdose line. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and again, we've, 
we 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 talk to young people all the time about this, and especially when somebody's kind of neck deep in their addiction, you know, uh, they're they're actually looking for fentanyl. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's there's same circumstances here, but I, I mean, look, there are a lot of kids too that aren't looking for it, and so you really you, you you don't want them to go there and get something that they think is something else, and then dying because of it. That's the tragedy. Not to say that people dying of fentanyl isn't a tragedy in itself, but you know that's when people are literally being poisoned, right? They're not. They're not. They're buying something. They're expecting it to be the substance that they're known to be taking, and it's not. That's not an overdose. That that's somebody being poisoned and killed. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And I get. And I get that. And and I support that poisoning side. Well, you know what I mean by that. You know, yeah. I, I I know I know that's a poisoning and that's the only way we're going to be able to put some of these people in prison. All right. Is because of the poisoning. Um, and those are some of the laws that are being changed here in California. Um, but again, on 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 the other side of that, um, huh, I mean, are we allowing are are we saying to these kids the message that's there is the is the message that's okay you you know what we know you're going to come we know you're going to get high we know you're going to use and 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 that's okay see i again i take issue with that that message i i mean for me even in my talks with with kids in schools and uh, you know i never tell kids to use drugs however if they are using them you know i definitely prepare them of what that looks like and how to use them more safely and i think in that sense, it doesn't come across as that I'm being judgmental or telling somebody what to do with their lives to get off substances. And so the reality, again, is that youth are going to experiment with a whole right. list of substances. And so we have to really, it's not like when we were kids, you know what I mean? And smoking uh, red hair and sesame oil and, right. you know, doing a, yeah. drop a little LSD and some mushrooms, right? Right. We, we weren't worried. About, I was never worried as a kid of dying. Right. Mm. Now it's different. You know what? Mm. We have to be different in our approach. We can't go with 1980s, what was available then, to 2023, what's available now. Right. And if us coming with the same thing that didn't stop us from using drugs was don't use them works, then that don't work either. So right. we already know all these things. So we really have to look at our approach and how do we build a relationship with these youth so that we can give them the best information possible to have the best response and outcome. You know, I I give kids nasal naloxone all the time. Mm -hmm. so they do don't we. like that they don't like the the the, the injection part of it right? Right, right the nasal stuff they carry this stuff around like it's a trinket off their uh you know backpack like it's a fashion statement right do you do you know why they don't like the injection well i think because it's a 30 day because it's a 30 day uh blockage well i i mean it's i refer for for Every youth has always told me is that, you know, it's uh, complicated to, you know, break a vial and put a syringe in there and draw it up. And it's just too much for them to. And and too, if it's real life and you got somebody that's not breathing, then it becomes even more enhanced. So the nasal stuff is just shoot it in their nose and away you go and breathe for them until, you know, help arrives. So mm -hmm. that's why the youth um, are easier access to, to the nasal. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, one thing that that was was said, like especially talking about like raves and things like that. So, with fentanyl though, it's like it's got a similar effect like heroin, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, and and between you gentlemen's back and forth with two valid points, it just occurs to me like a dance, like a rave. You're not going to most likely want fentanyl there for that kind of a situation. Just knowing that I've gone to one for ten minutes and went. F this. This is not my scene at all. I'm out of here. You know, like 15 years ago where a friend of mine's like, can you pick me up? My feet are bleeding. Why are your feet bleeding from dancing too much? It's like gacked out of her freaking mind, man. That was like the worst car ride ever home. Somebody just like, you know, I don't yeah. know what she was on, but oh. <laughs> 
it's the music and the the disco stuff going on. It's just too right. much for me. I'm just like, there's a lot going on here. My ADHD's gone nuts. I gotta get out. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's too much stimuli for me altogether, right there. Exactly. But yeah, I just uh, that really kind of was a thought process for me. Is that I know for me in any type of using, it's based on the setting. Like I never was a guy that smoked a joint at a concert, but I had my beer because I tended to go to things that would you know, more upbeat, hard-hitting rock or something. And if I wanted something to just help me eat a box of Captain Crunch and go to bed, different <laughs> story. So it just kind of made me think of that scenario of the benefit of, hey, here's a test strip. Um, because yeah, I mean, not, we talk not... about the poisoning nature of it. There's, there is a, a poisoning. The vast majority of these deaths we're seeing are freaking poisonings. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's not to say that there are, promoting substances what they're trying to do is promote safety in the sense of like okay you know there's gonna be a lot of people here that aren't going to be doing drugs but there's gonna be a lot of people here that are so trying to find a balanced approach to that and so mm -hmm. I, I mean yeah I, I mean you know i i can see people's points of where they think it's encouraging or you know enabling people to bring substances there but the reality is, is they're already doing it it's like mm -hmm. you know they're doing it right now somewhere you know, at school, buying it at school, you know, it's just, it's, it's really changed. Uh, we've entered a synthetic era of substance use. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect, in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. It can also be, at least I can construe this as, um, uh, you know what, everybody else is allowing it, so we're going to allow it. You know, we, okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, okay, we, we, we know all these kids are going to do it. By the way, not all kids are doing it. Okay. Yeah. Not all kids are using drugs. Not all kids are experimenting. All right. But again, the majority of them will, we all, we all know this kids are, kids are inquisitive. They're going to try it. And there's a variety of reasons why they do. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I have a problem right now because nobody's talking about abstinence. No, no, nobody's, nobody's talking about it at all. And, and that's what it seems like. And, 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 and again, I, I take, cause I am always going to talk about abstinence Be, because I think guy that this gets split into several different categories, to be honest with you, when you're talking about there, there's short-term harm reduction and there's, in my opinion, and there's long-term harm reduction. I am dead set against long-term harm reduction, but I will say this. I, it, it also can be split up in ages by age group. When you're, when you're dealing with a 20 year old or a 25 year old, why on God's green earth would you want to put somebody on long-term harm reduction? I'm speaking of opioid use now. Okay. Why, why would somebody want to, you're, you're again, they're sending the message that you can't get clean. And now you're going to be on Zaboxone or methadone for the rest of your life. Because guess what? Most people aren't going to stop taking that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's like abstinence is talked about people getting off drugs. But see, this one thing that you're mentioning here, which is really real in the recovery industry, is stigma of these medications of addiction opioid use medications such as methadone and Suboxone as well, which for a lot of people, even getting on them, depending on the level of dose, like here's the thing is that if I'm on 120 milligrams of methadone, yeah, I'm, I'm likely going to be sleeping half my life. Right. But if I'm on like 10 milligrams, you know, or five milligrams just to, just a, a lot of it too is based on people's circumstances with anxiety and depression that they've dealt with. It just kind of gives them a little bit of a balance. I actually know multiple people 
who have been on Zaboxin and they're taking like two milligrams a day. I mean, it's so tiny. But that two milligrams, for whatever reason, has kept them away from the illicit drug supply. So I have absolutely no issues with people. To me, that's abstinence. In the sense is like, you know, like, hey, I'm not using the drug that tanks my life. Mm. I'm using a medication that actually got me employed, that actually got me a girlfriend, that actually got my kids back, that's done all these things to help me move forward. And so one of those those medications can be really life-saving. Myself, personally, I don't take anything. I was on methadone for nine months when I went to treatment. And if I wasn't on methadone for those nine months, dude, I would have not made it because my brain was wired to use drugs, uh, you know, for any reason, not just for being depressed, but even for being in a good mood. I can wake up in a good mood and be like, let's just go tank our lives. Sure. Mm, sure. One of, one of the reasons why, uh, again, we're, we're just going to agree to disagree on a lot of this stuff today. <laughs> okay. Because look, what, and I know that routine it took me two years to get off methadone. Because when you go to, let's, let's just take the methadone issue for a second. When you go into a methadone clinic, those are not treatment centers. Those are maintenance centers. Every, every methadone clinic you walk into, we all know that if we're on, if we're on 120 or if we're on 70 milligrams or if we're on five milligrams, we can walk into that clinic at any point and tell that doctor, this dose isn't holding me. We need to increase it. And they're going to increase it every single time. And yeah. one of the and one of the reasons why when you get down to that two milligrams or even one milligram of Zaboxone and and or methadone, the psychological fear that comes into that head of ours is scary. We it, it's it's the psychological piece of how are we ever going to live without this? I don't know that I could do life without this. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are in that little bracket by themselves in that one milligram, two milligram. Sometimes it takes six months for somebody to come off of two milligrams. Yep. No, there's no, hey, no, I, I'm not disagreeing. You know what? It took me two years to actually be normal, not using anything. Right, like, right, I mean, it right. took a, like whether I was on Zaboxone, Mesodone, or anything else, I mean, literally, my body and my brain and my mind took so long to like kind of balance itself out to where where it should be mm -hmm. um and that's the reality is for chronic substance users i i, I mean mm -hmm. man it's a it's a journey mm -hmm. and this, yeah. this is and this is one of those things where uh proper support hey listen i've always said this you know how I got inspired to be off methadone because the freaking guy next to me told me he doesn't take it anymore. And I was just like, what? Right. Like, you, you know, so it's it's kind of recovery is a process and a journey. Mm -hmm. We have to support people along that journey, whether they're doing something that we don't agree with or not. The one thing I've always said is that I didn't know if people were judging me that I was on methadone. And if they were, at least I didn't know they were, because if they, if I did find out that they were, it would definitely make me feel a little bit uncomfortable to be around them. Sure. And so, yeah. so one of those things that I've often remembered, even in my own life is that, Hey, today I'm on methadone. Who knows what that's going to look like in a few weeks from now, but we got to really try to inspire people as well and do it through communication and support and be like, Hey brother, man, I got you, man. Like, you know, that, that's how we, I find that what goes on in our society between harm reduction and recovery is enough. Like we're not inspiring or, or helping each other. We're, we're actually, we're actually making comments towards people who are struggling in, with substance use and addiction. And how is that inspiring them to be like, let's go to that facility. Those people that are pointing fingers at us all day saying that we're, you know, these dirty homeless drug users, you know, uh, causing harm on the streets. It's like, you know, it, it becomes, it, we really have to look at how or what we're trying to do. And for me, I've recovery is about attraction. Mm -hmm. I was attracted to people that got their lives together that I saw was a shit storm before. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. 
Like you're standing up straight. Like you're not sleeping on the side of the road. That's what inspired me to be like, maybe things are possible. Uh, incredibly valid point. And um, you said something there interesting about, you know, the people taking such a small dose of either methadone, suboxone and, um, it's not so much, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly your words like that allowed them, but it, it, it definitely allowed for a clearing of space to move into some of the things that, that we need to focus on and our mental health, maybe the traumas that led to uh, the substance use in the first place. I mean, you've shared your story here before and, and it's definitely out there about all that you went through trauma wise. And so sometimes, um, yeah, a little less of the judgment to create a space that doesn't, you know, I don't know, maybe reactivate some trauma. I've heard some people that have maybe fallen off and not gone back to a 12-step group meeting because they face some judgment there. Yeah, for sure. One of the things, too, that I had to learn is I didn't know how to do life, man. Hmm. Like, I honestly, when somebody asked to go for a coffee, I was like, what does that actually mean? Like, I'm you know, what I, mean? like, I haven't done this. Like, we're going to go for a coffee and do absolutely what? We're going to talk? Like, who, like, you know, for, for me, it gave me that, you're right, that space to actually try new things and stuff that I had forgotten that I enjoyed, like, like going to the movies or watching a video with a couple people or going to a sports game. You know, those things are stuff that I used to enjoy before I find addiction just buries that, but it doesn't remove that. And so mm -hmm. you have to rediscover that stuff in your life again. And that's really what kind of being on an opiate agonist therapy did for me for nine months is gave me the ability to try some new things, get comfortable with it, right? And an ability to have a lot more support. And as I was going through the journey, you know, I started with one person, two people, 10 people, 20 people. Holy smokes, I got a freaking army behind me right now. I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling like I can do this. And then them encouraging me, checking up on me, taking me to the gym, bringing me like soups and hot teas and, you know, energy drinks. You're going to need this, you know, and sugar <laughs> and chocolate. And it's like, all right, man. like, you know, making you feel that love. And that's what really got me to a place was like, I don't need anything anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of that aftercare as you talk about the importance of. Yeah. It, and, and look, and I, and I agree with that. And obviously, you know, look, we all know the stigma of addiction has to be broken somewhere. Okay. I mean, and the last thing any of us are doing are judging anybody, but I'm a realist. All right. And you walk over to a methadone clinic today. All right. And I guarantee you 95% of those people have no intention of ever getting clean when they're walking in the parking lot at 5 a.m. in the morning and they're buying Vicodin and Percocet and possibly fentanyl and everything else that's in that parking lot. I could take you to four, four methadone clinics right here in Fresno, all right, that you can do that. You know why I know? Because I did it, okay? <laughs> because because I did it. Um, and, and, and again, it, it's, it's but, but, but where, I'm, where I'm really going with this, and this is where I'm really going with it, People that are that are really pumping up long-term harm reduction are not giving both sides of the story. They are not talking about the long-term. Look, methadone, zaboxone, those, those are opioid-based drugs. The long-term health risks that come with opioid use in general, let alone zaboxone and, and, and methadone, are prevalent, they're going to be prevalent, they're going to stay with you even after you stop, just because you stop. Those, those potential long-term health risks don't go away. And I've got lists of those things. And again, do you know why I've got lists of those things? Because 90% of those things happen to my ass. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Literally. I mean, had, had, had to have the entire inside of me repaired because of the constipation that that those drugs and and opioids caused two heart attacks because of my addiction people aren't talking about our diets and and our smoking tobacco and all those other things that come into play while we are on those drugs that have the effect on our health now and later on down the road and so i just want people to know if you're going to go down this road this is what could possibly happen to you right the list is long yeah and but i mean the also the other road is is that you could die using fentanyl well of course 
Right. I mean, it's same thing with same thing with alcohol. It's like all of it. I mean, anything that you do in excess will cause harm. I think people really do understand that, um, you know, to some degree, um, you know, even even for me, like, you know, the punishment that I endured on my body is still relevant today. Like, you know, I, I don't forget where I've come from. Believe me, when I take 10 steps in the morning, I remember it's like, you know, but but I but I will say this, too. OK. Again, I'm kind of the old man in the group. All right. And, and, you know, and I'm going to be 68. Right. Well, when I'm talking to people that are 40 and 50 and even 60. Okay. Probably older than you. Right. I feel older than you. Exactly. But, but here's my point. Those people don't have a clue of what could be coming their way. Because of because of those things that we did in the past and because of that long term use of of those medications, you know, but 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 again, I'm going to say this, like I said in the beginning, I am totally for short term harm reduction. And I don't know exactly what that time frame is. It could be 30 days for some people. It could be six months for 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 somebody else. I, I, I don't know. But I do know this, if we don't start and 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 leading people towards that, 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 and again, I know I'm going to get, I'm going to get letters on this. I'm going to get arguments on this. Okay. And I don't give a shit. Okay. We, my responsibility in this, and especially when I'm dealing with, with parents is I, I'm, I'm going to try and lead your child towards abstinence. Right. End of story. But and I, I mean, you can try to lead anybody on any path, right? And yeah. encourage people that it's you know. I always say, I say it is recovery is possible for anybody, right? Uh, I I truly believe that. It's interesting. See, I don't focus on all that stuff because what somebody asked me is they were they were saying, "Hey, guy, how long did it take for you to build trust back up in your family circles?" Um, because I'm having some issues with this trust fact, building this trust factor back. And I said, I didn't really focus on any of that stuff about building trust back or having people, um, you know, oh yeah, I, guy's a changed man. I just focused on one thing that I could focus on. Sure. Which was get better, show people by my actions and let them all decide for themselves. But And, and so it's in the sense of the same kind of thing where I talk about with anything is that I don't focus on all those things of what I want to get back. I just focus on what I need to do for myself today mm-hmm. and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, because I think as a, as us as substance users or recovering substance users is that our minds focus too much on everything. And then it becomes so overwhelming. It's like, dude, just drop it all. Like you, all my job was is I don't want to get high today and let me just figure out how to get the hell through it. Right. Let everything else go away. And you just focus on that. And you know what? I, I found that uh, that that became really the, the crux of, of my success. I think, Flint, you know, and, and it's just and I say it a lot, guy, I just worry about anyone having a chink in the armor, you know, Um and I know for me that, that 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 wasn't just the substance. It was it was not really doing the total work and having some arrogance of I got this, you know, and yeah. and, and not being able to self-exam like my boundaries are still shit. And that's what led to my relapse just over two years ago. Luckily, I had enough support that I reached out to people and got right back on it pretty quick that time. Um, so that's yeah. a fortunate thing. You know, again, it was, and I'm not going to say just alcohol because alcohol, it means taking more freaking lives and, you know, anyways. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, but I got back on it. So I'm fortunate in that regard that it wasn't something where I ordered a pill off of Snapchat and it was laced with fentanyl and I was gone. So I think, you know, for, for me, and I don't want to speak for you, Flint, but I worry about that for anyone having any chink in their armor before they can really start to strengthen all those aspects mentally and emotionally physically and and definitely spiritually yeah yeah you're right i mean it takes time man like all, all, all especially what happens with addiction is 
using drugs is changes everything quickly. Doesn't, you know, I mean, changes how you feel quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't change your circumstances. Recovery is something that's a work in practice. It's not based on theory. It's based on action. And you have to work really, really hard. So there's a, there are two people will say that they kind of are on the same parallels, but really there are two completely separate things because drugs change the way I feel about things and make me feel better as someone. And then in recovery, if I have a bad day, I have to go to my coping mechanisms that I'm learning. And when drugs were the reasonable response to those coping mechanisms for so long, that's where it becomes, you know, one of those things. It's a process, the chink in the armor, the pain, dealing with it. I always say this to people. It's like, you know, it's like our emotions are like waves. You know, they're up and down all day. Like you're not, you you look at emotions throughout your daily life today, even, right? We get mm-hmm. amped up, we get excited and we get mellowed out. You know what I mean? They're up and down and, you know, have a good meal and you feel a lot better. Or, you know, before you're having a meal, you're getting angry. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like all these things go, oh, really, we're just a big walking ball of emotions. But that's life. That's life. That's life. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. And speaking of life, you know, when, when, when people talk to me about... Uh, a, a, a young man, young woman, whoever it is, that is, again, mid-20s, 30s, 40s, and they're strapped to a methadone program, and they have to walk into that clinic every single day to get their dose. And if they're lucky, they may get a couple, two or three take-homes for the week, so they don't have to go in two or three days. And And God forbid... If they have to go out of town somewhere and God forbid, if they forget their methadone because they will not stay there, they cannot walk into another clinic in another town and get their dose. They, they, that, that is, that is a law. They can't do that. And so all of a sudden you're somewhere, you don't have your methadone. You forgot it. Now, now not only does the physical withdrawal come in, the psychological comes into play. You are an absolute train wreck at this point. And, and if you're with your family, you just blew that family trip all to hell. And, right. and, 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 and again, it's the, it's the same with Zaboxone. You forget, you don't have to go in to get it every day with Zaboxone, which is a plus. Okay. But if you forget it somewhere, you put it you put it in a bag and you're flying to Hawaii and that that piece of luggage gets lost and you don't have it holy shit i've been in those situations man that is pure fear panic that that comes upon you like a wave like a like a tsunami and right. everything else gets blown to shit well i always look at people that are on those medications you have to look at the life that it was before and if it does give them some sort of sense of stability then aha Aha. Great. I'm glad you said that because again, goes back to my point of you almost have to take this individually because not everybody's a street person. Not everybody is a street person. Not every, not, not, not everybody is living, you know, we call it, you know, North of Herndon here, right. You know, in a, in a, in a half a million dollar house somewhere. So, so we're talking about almost two different types or three different types of societal situations here where the, you're right. They're not the same. They, yeah. they are not the same and they have to be treated differently and they have, that's why options have to be given. The truth has to be told. I don't disagree. I give, this is the thing, you know, like I say to people, I don't support harm reduction over recovery and I don't support recovery over harm reduction. I support yeah. helping people and, and you know what, where somebody's at right now, this is where I tell people, this is where the person's at. This is where I'm going to work with them. 
And you know what? Like I just tell people a lot of the stuff that I've been through in my whole life becomes relatable to people that are coming up behind me. And so you pass on sure. some wisdom to people and, you know, you hope that, that, that people will discover their own path. And, you know, I, I know, you know, I know lots of people, the longevity of drug use, you know, they're hunched over now they're in pain. Yeah. You know, they're going to be on medications for the rest of their lives yeah. because of that pain. Now they've, I, Honestly, it breaks my heart because I've witnessed a lot of friends growing up when we were kids that are now in wheelchairs. They can't walk. But still, for me, the life that they live today is much better than the life that they lived, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's me just, you know, I had a friend call me from the downtown east side a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he's been down there for like 30 years. And he just called me out of the blue and he said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just, you know, sitting at home watching the uh, hockey game. And he said, uh, I feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And here it is to me. I'm like, when I hear somebody say that, that's like, that's real for me. And I just said, well, what do you want to do? And I came down, I drove, drove down there, picked him up and we went to this nice area of town, West 10th where I grew up as a, a kid in group homes, a nice little coffee shop. We had coffee. I take him to this park where he can oversee Vancouver. And we're just standing on this hill, drinking a cup of coffee and talking and, you know, just, just talking. And, uh, you know, you're showing, and he never saw the area because he's been trapped in a two block radius for the last right. 20 years, yeah. but just there getting him out, just getting him out of there. And you know, you know what he said? He says, guy, I'm surrounded by services. I'm surrounded by everything, you know, all of it but I still feel lonely. And, and to that me, hurts. man, that's, that's pain, man. It is. And, and, you know, I, I just said to him, I said, well, Hey man, anytime you feel lonely, man, I'll, I'll come pick you up and take you out for a coffee. He, he ain't going to treatment. Right. He's not. And, and, and again, that, that, that kind of breaks it down into, into that, that societal piece. You know, when, when, when you've got, when you've got a 60 year old, 65 year old that, that is, that has been on the streets for 20, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. No, they're not going to treatment. Okay. They're, they're not, they live in that two block radius. They're going to stay in that two block radius um, for, for all the reasons that you, that you mentioned. Um, And I have no problem with that. Okay. I have no problem with somebody in that particular group being on methadone for the rest of their life because that life no matter what it is now it's better than what it was just like you said no question about it but if but if we don't start breaking this down into almost generations generationally that that 18 to 25 year old bracket, the 26 to, to to 40 bracket, the 40 bracket to to 59 year old bracket, because they're all different. I'm going to go back and say it again: they're not all street people. They've right. got they've got careers ahead of them, lives ahead. Of, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to be an asshole here. I'm not <laughs> asshole. Okay? Yeah, but but. but, but when I have parents coming to me, okay, with their 30-year-old child that is still living in this, in this trap, okay, of, of methadone use or zaboxone use, and that kid is not doing anything, not doing they're not even going to meetings. They're not even, they're not even making attempts. Not everybody that takes this stuff is use is taking it for the right reasons. Yeah. And again, that's a message that's not being delivered. And I, and, and yeah. 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 No, it made me sad a eh, for your friend, but, you then I, but when you were telling that I was then picturing that gentleman is like a 23 year old or something like that. And it's like so much life ahead, but how do we, when they're in that way of living, you know, it's kind of yes. made me think too, of the guy that's been in prison for 45 years and, some reason he gets out and then he's right back in because he doesn't know another way. Like, how do we then with the individual that has gotten to the point, much as yourself was at one time of, of we're taking this away. 
how do we give them something else? Like you had an amazing sense of community at that nine months when you're like, okay, I'm coming off of methadone of people, like you said, bringing you soup and being there, you know, how, do, how do we present that more that yeah. there's, you know, that's one of my biggest things. We are taking something away and I, and I get it. Hey, I get wanting to a numb out or be like me. I, I was numb living, but when I got some drinks in me, I was Mr. Fun. Like I could feel something, you know, woohoo, let's go. All right. Let's talk to women, you know, whatever it was. So how do we, you know, take that away and give something back? Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think we have to give, we have to let people know that things are possible. That there's options, right? Sure. I'm an option guy. Like, I mean, I give people all the options. I don't just give them a little bit. You know, this is where we, we have a whole assortment to pick from here. And two, you tell, like, I mean, I know a lot of people, too, that have come to me that want to get into treatment. They're like, I want to get off drugs. And I don't want to be on methadone either. I might need it for a little bit. Right. But I'm getting the hell. I, I don't want to be tied down to that thing because, as you pointed out earlier, with all the other policy aspects behind it. So there there's that, too, right? You, you mm-hmm. have people... And one of the things you got to have these open and honest conversations with people as well. Right. Like, you know, I don't try to sugarcoat anything or hide anything. Like for me, you know what, when I was um, in the downtown East side, I could have gotten involved in a heroin program. And you know what I said is that I don't want your heroin program. I want to buy it off the street. Right. Well, right. It was just kind of like, huh? But that, that was because of there's a lot of barriers that would come with that. My life would be really involved in, you know, going to a facility three times a day to do heroin where I was like, okay, man, I can already see this playing out in my life. This is not going to be, I'll just call my dope dealer and get it dropped off like dominoes. Right. And no barriers. Um, Right. So, you know, and then eventually want to get off it when I want to get off of it type thing. Right. Right. I, I think that's our, our, our thing even when i talk to kids kids tell me all the time how long does withdrawal last and i'm like well oh shit. that can last a while pal. a while man you bet yeah i mean i honestly when i went through withdrawal i tell kids this i go to jail they would not get they give you jail for <laughs> just a little right no a little jail bit? for no jail for uh go jail in canada back in the day not now but back in the day you go to jail in canada you tell them you're a heroin user, they give you powder Gatorade. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, hey, you tell them you're an alcoholic, they give you value. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I used to say I'm an alcoholic and heroin user. Absolutely. They <laughs> like get value for about four or five days, right? Right. But so, and then in withdrawal in jail, oh. I mean, it was like, Hell. like two months with like, sporadic sleep patterns yes but for the first two weeks dude oh Oh. it is the worst you're giving me the shivers because i i I, (laughs) I, because i've been right where you're at i mean i mean in a ball crawl just curled up psychotic bullshit going on in my head not knowing whether i was up down pee crap puke it it, it did i didn't know i mean it was it's it's almost you we almost can't explain a methadone withdrawal you know because it's 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 that brutal but but you also said something that that of course we've we've been on the bandwagon for quite some time here about and that is the treatment side of this thing look I, i i own a treatment center we can't we can't even take a methadone clinic. We won't take a methadone patient un, un, unless they are on about 20 milligrams because mm-hmm. a we can't have that on our on our property. We we cannot take that person to the methadone clinic every day to get to to get their dose. But I'll I'll make this short, but we all know in treatment that that treatment is not affordable or available to the majority of citizens, plain oh. and simple. Yeah, 100%. 100%, right? Yeah. As as we're starting to do things, and I'm working now with a couple senators, I'm working with it with, with, with an assemblyman here in Fresno, that that we're trying to 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 start addressing these insurance companies. Now, again, we probably won't see this in my lifetime, but if if we don't, if we don't a make treatment affordable for the individual 
and not over the top profitable, but profitable for the treatment center so we can keep our doors open. This is this whole mess. Everything we're talking about here, guy, I'm telling you right now is going to go right out the fucking window because yeah. because because treatment, even even government assisted treatment centers. Again, I'm a realist. You have to split everything almost into a social setting. People that live in a half a million dollar house at first are not going to send their kids to a government county run program. We're going to go to Malibu. Well, right. right. Or, or something in between. Okay. But, but I, I tell people, God, screw Malibu. Okay. Nobody needs to pay $50,000 a month for treatment. That's all bullshit. <laughs> hey, Flint. Hey, hey, I'll tell you this. Somebody wants to send me, I'll go to treatment right now in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go there for a vacation. No, I, right? I just, just want to go right now. Just, right. That's a refresher course. Pack, I'm leaving. Right. I'll come do treatment for 90 days there all day. Uh, what was it, Rodney Dangerfield and Cash Chick? Oh, they need a refresher course. Yeah, you know? that, that's that's. I remember one guy. I I I took my wife some some treatment center. This is years ago. Invited me to come down there just to see their 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 property, right? And they were having this dinner, and Kathy and I go down there, and I mean, it's just drop dead gorgeous. When you, Kathy and I are walking in, we're going, "Holy shit, we just want a vacation here, right?" Yeah. So so we're walking around the place. It was about I think it was. A, actually an eight bed facility, but each bedroom looked like the size of my house. And, um, and of course the food was unbelievable, but the staff, so we're sitting there and I'm and basically I'm there just to, you know, eat their food and take, take, take off. Okay. So, so we're eating and this gal comes up to me, somebody that worked there and she goes, Oh, well, you know, she says, Lindsay Lohan came here and, and, and I looked at her and I, and you know, the smart ass that I am, I looked at her and I go, wow, that worked out well. I said, yeah. and then I looked at her and I said, by the way, I said, you know, you just blew HIPAA. <laughs> I said, I, I said, you know what, if, if you want to bring me in here to stay for a couple of months, you know, free of charge, I'll, I'll do it. I said, but other than that, my wife and I are out of here. See ya. And we did. Yeah. And, 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 and we left because that kind of stuff is, is bullshit. But if we, as 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 a nation, you in Canada, whatever wherever it is, if we don't do something quickly here, in the in and for the treatment facilities, we are in so. I mean, we're already in trouble. Okay, but we cannot offer the service. We want to help people. Most of us want to help people. We don't give a shit about the money. Okay, we don't need to make hundreds of millions of dollars. We need to keep our doors open, pay our employees, pay our insurances. And here in California, of course, it's 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 ridiculously high, just ridiculously high. And 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 we have to be able to offer those services to people because I think if it was affordable to people and if it was a decent place to go, I do believe that more people would go. I I, I really do. I don't disagree. I think uh, it's unaffordable, um, you know, and I think that's for for what we need is opportunity. People when they want to go, I want yeah. to help at three a.m., not nine a.m. Right. You know, and we need to be there to get people because, you know, you're my my thought process of recovery changed so rapidly. Right. It's like, I want to go right now. And then it's like, oh, something changed. I got a bag of dope at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's exactly it. And, and again, so I'm so I'm here to tell you this. And I and and I don't care when you're dealing with county run organizations. If you call Fresno County Department of Behavioral Health and 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 we're actually on their website. If you call there on a Saturday, Sunday or past five o'clock, you're not even get, you're lucky if the phone even rings. Right. OK, if if you call during business hours, you may, if you're lucky, get a live body on the other end of the phone. And you're yeah. going to be extremely lucky if you get a call back within three days. Excuse me, my treatment center, we answer our phones. Hell, I answer the phone 24 7. Somebody's got that phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's and good. and and you you bet, because I, I was like you. If when I wanted to go, it may have been one o'clock in the morning, you yeah. know, 
Who's going to who's going to take that call? The majority of them are not. So so again, my point, not only does treatment have to change from the insurance standpoint, treatment in, it, it itself has to change. The treatment centers have have to change. And I just got done today, as a matter of fact, because we have outpatient programs as well. It was time for our revision. We got revisions back. So we got our revisions. We, we, we sent them back. The state sent them back again. And I swear to God, we did not put a couple of commas in a place. And some asshole in California sat there and go, <laughs> oh, well, we're just going to send these back. Okay. Right. Now you've got another three weeks. Yeah. Before you get a response and we're all, and we're all wondering why we're in a mess. Yeah. We make it hard to help people. We make it hard to help people, man. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can shift the incentives, cause it's sad that there's someone that, you know, could have been you guy, could have been you Flint. Uh, I didn't go to treatment. I kind of had to white knuckle and 12 step it, but we're literally just saying that individual is not economically viable. So how do we start to actually, especially when it comes to our government and our politicians say a lot of shit. And I know you've heard it up there. Like, I, I know, you know who Bonnie Henry is. We could get into that stuff, but um, it, it, how do we shift the damn incentives so that it's economically viable for those that can decision makers, that they can really understand this disease and do some damn good and help. Cause I'll tell you what, you'd save a lot more money and strain on the system. If we could get people through treatment yep. into good aftercare yep. and getting back to being a, a citizen or for the first time stepping into citizenship and really being a contributing member of society. I, I don't disagree, but I also think too, it's not just uh, the government and part that's yeah. most important is that what people are trying to break free from, you can't put them back in there. Like you can't right. keep putting people in the same dirty bathwater. Right. Um, yeah. And one of the other things too, is we need corporate buy-in from companies to yeah, we do. give people a, a freaking shot at a job. Yep. Like, Hey, stop blaming and pointing. For, yeah. Government's got to do their part, but yeah. solely us as a society have to really change our approach because I'll tell you right now, you know, people are carrying around a luggage with a criminal record in it for the rest of their lives, can't access housing, can't access employment. And we wonder why people don't stick with it. You know, we have to say, hey, you know what, man, you got a criminal record. I couldn't care less. Right. You went to you went to treatment and you got off drugs. I want to hire you. Sure. You know, you know, those these are things that we need also attached to the treatment industry where corporate companies such as listen, I could name a few. Amazon, Hootsuite, uh, everybody else under the sun that, you know, yeah. the restaurant industry, uh, you know, shopping industry, you know, telemarketing, whatever it is, but pay people a salary so that they feel productive and build some confidence in their lives. I mean, one of the things that I, I swear I, I broke down and cried was the first time I, I mean, I looked at a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Like somebody didn't give me cash under the table. Right. Like my name was on a check, man. Right. With yeah. a stub that you got to go pay your taxes. I mean, right. it made me feel good, man. Or getting my ID back. Yeah. You know, paying my bill. But you know, we take so much for granted in our lives, man. Like just getting myself a picture ID. I was like, uh, look, I'm a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm part of this. I'm back right. in the game. Right. Yeah. You know, those are those are things that we need to go along. It's not all just about getting off drugs. That to me is like going to school and I'm not going to use it for the rest of my life. Teach me how to live in these treatment facilities. Teach me how to be inspired. Show me what the outcome is going to look like in my life. Sure. And, 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 and there are treatment centers like ours that do that, but it, Oh, I'm sorry. It always starts with detoxing that person properly and getting them through that, because if you don't detox them properly, I'm sorry, that brain of ours, and I include myself in that group, okay, we are not going to be able to understand what that therapist is saying or that 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 job uh, recruitment officer is saying. We, we, we're just not going to grasp it because we all know it takes a couple of years for our brains to even start to heal again. And, and, yeah. and, and so we, we have to be able, you can't just throw somebody in a fucking closet. Okay. At Salvation Army, that's been on heroin for 20 years 
and and say, hey, here's here's a couple aspirin because Salvation Army will not detox with medications. All right. Teen Challenge will not detox with medications because they can't. They don't have the licensing for it. So how do you so so and, and I don't know, I probably you're the same way. If I got thrown in a room like that, okay, guess what? My ass is out of there within about six hours. Yeah. Because because I wouldn't have been able to go through that. Yeah. We're not given the right information. We're not giving the right treatment. Okay. As a whole. I'm saying as 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 an entire society, we're not doing it. Yeah, well, you know what? Well, I will say this as a society. I mean, uh, and as people, we have to do better and be better, you know? Yeah, that, we do. That's, nobody's disputing any of that. Right. Um, and and we have to make significant uh, changes in, in how we approach, you know, uh, people who are struggling with addiction. I think the biggest thing is that immediate if people need immediate access when they want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't even start there. Then I'm telling you, we're going to have this, you know, it's like digging a hole and trying to climb back out of it. You know, right. The longer you keep digging, the harder it is to get back out. So we really have to change the approach, immediate access, withdrawal management, get people to understand. Listen, you go have a heart attack, you go to the hospital, you can get admitted. Right? You, bet. you can't get admitted in Canada anyway. If you go to, and one in six people are admitted at a hospital in Canada, in St. Paul's Hospital in, in British Columbia, one in every six has a substance use disorder. Right. So so when you actually think about it, you know, going into the hospital or the ED and asking for help because you want to get off drugs. But they should admit you and stabilize you there. Hospital is a great stabilization center. Sure, but they're not going to do it. Exactly. But mm. but see, this is the thing where if you then you can't say it's a health issue. Mm. Like you're going to say it's a health issue, then damn well treat it like one. Right. Exactly. Well, of course. And that's that's of where course. I look at like with the the you know a lot of people decrim, but they don't really back it up with saying what you what you just said and what I very get angry about is okay if we're going to decriminalize it then we need immediately need to treat it like a health issue immediately need to treat it like what it is a health issue and transfer those incentives that before it was a crime thing and here we go guy gets a felony charge and he's not like you said ever going to have a chance back at life we can go and get him through detox and then get him into some sort of program then here we go we can start to actually serve these people yep yeah, and too, I think, I think it's uh, inhumane not to 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 allow people to continue suffering when. And you know what? Like, I have many conversations with people on the street. They ain't asking me for dope. Right. They're asking me to get the hell out. Right. Yeah. Right. They're there. I get as simple as I got a, a young dude I've adopted, Arthur. And either I catch him when he's high, and I seem to be the one person that can talk him down a little bit away from the Seven Eleven. Or it's, or it's, hey, man, and I remember his name when he is not using, and and it's like a, the, the fucking sun shined down upon him. Like he mm, felt right. important and just wants a Gatorade, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's like that humanity. Right. You know? I'm yeah. going to bring, I'm going to bring up something too that, that I, I didn't know I was going to bring it up today, but I have to, because I met with somebody, um, two days ago, um, I actually spoke before uh, a women's group last week and uh this lady came up to me afterwards and she's a nurse and she works um uh in the NICU unit and um with babies that are um going through withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. and I'm going to and I'm going to be a part of her organization here soon um because she she really hit home but what's happening uh, and this is happening all over the country, but but here's a, a, a just briefly what what this is. They are detoxing these babies with both methadone and morphine. Yeah. And these we all know what these infants are going to through these two day old, three year old, five day year old, five day old infants. You know the shakes and the and the and the sweats and everything that we as adults went through. And what's happening is that the nurses that are working in these units are so desensitized. What's I can't say with my with my teeth. <laughs> Certain words I can't pronounce, guy. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, and the doctors are as well. And these and these physicians are actually discharging these infants back with their current using parents that are on methadone. And they're finding that if the parent can't get their daily dose of the methadone, they're stealing the babies. Methadone. Mm -hmm. This is a whole nother world that 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 we're that we're all in, but nobody knows about it. And nobody's doing anything about it. I mean, this is this is this this is what our life is now. You know, there's just so much to clean up here. It's it's uh it's pretty fucking scary to be honest with you. We live in a, a scary world though right now. I mean, with just everything going on. Yeah, I mean, just stuff. I know it. Gotta keep hope alive, right? Planting seeds. Yeah, man. I mean, that's it. I don't care. You know what? For me, I always say I don't care what government's in power. I don't care what people are going to do. I'm just, you know, this is what I do. I'm going to do it. Right. Um, and that's the that's the thing. I just never. I always I always I always remembered the guy that handed out a sandwich and a coffee and handed his card that was from a recovery center in the downtown east side. I never forgot those types of people that come down there. And, and that's just what works and helped me, gave me, gave me like somebody saw me. Right. You know, I mattered enough to somebody to come down and some guy that lived a life like I'm living now, you know, did that for me then meant, meant a huge amount for me. And so those are just the things that, that I do. I don't really have an expectation in people's lives. I have an expectation of my own life of what it's going to look like. But for me, I just think if I continue to live my life the way it is, sober, inspire people of overcoming addiction, mental health, and homelessness, um, you know, my hope is is that, you know, my story makes it so somebody doesn't have to go through what I went through. Absolutely. That's what I'll continue to, that's just me. That's what um, I'll continue to do. And I'm actually doing this thing with uh, a school group that called me. I did a talk there years ago. Uh, and the kids are come, they're doing a project on homelessness. And so uh, they reached out. And so I'm giving them we're doing a Zoom tomorrow just to talk about, you know, the, the many challenges of being homeless and how can we as a society support people and what can we do to make a significant change so people can have access to housing. And so, you know, those are the types of things make me get up every day. And, you know, I wouldn't be sober today if I didn't go and give back. Everything I have in my life is really a, a huge result of that. Right. Right. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Yes, sir. If uh, people want to find out more about you, Guy, how can they do so? Oh, well, I mean, you can follow me along on Twitter. It's just my first and last name. Or you can, um, you know, at Guy Felicella, or you can reach out to my website, um, Guy Felicella Consulting. And. Or follow me on Instagram at Guy Felicella Public, and uh, you know, and and say hi. And uh, anytime somebody reaches out to me, I tell it to everybody. It's like if somebody takes the time to call me, I take the time to reach back. You bet. Never once I take pride in that. That's yep. like you know what? You take time to write an email to me, man. I'm telling you, I'm I'm getting back to you. And, when you guys reach out, I get back to you. Anybody you reaches out, I I just want you know I just uh, you know I I enjoy the life. I'm grateful, like very grateful to be alive on this earth. It's not the second chance. It's probably like more chances than a couple cats. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I got a great life. I got a great family, kids, just beauty, and you know, just let's just keep trying to help people, man. That's mm. it. That's it. Thanks for a great conversation. Thanks, guy. guy. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you guys, man. You guys have a great evening. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. 
This podcast contains the views and opinions of hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page.